Good morning, everybody. It's Nahum Siegel, and this is JM Rewind. As we um, look back at some of the conversations I've been privileged to have on the airwaves over the last couple of weeks, we're going to start today this hour of JM Rewind with David Marcus and Sarah Rosenfeld, who are in our studio to discuss the incredible projects of the One Israel Fund. Uh, that conversation starts now, right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. We get an opportunity now to visit with somebody or have them visit with us, uh, who we spent Monday night with. It was an amazing gathering a Monday night at the uh, One Israel Fund dinner in New York City. And many people responded favorably, as we would have hoped, and uh, thank God those hopes came to fruition. Um, for all the different causes and all the different things that the One Israel Fund is doing, uh, safety and security, obviously always number one on their list, but they've uh, gone ahead and made a very big deal, rightfully so, about their activities regarding the Pinachama. Those of you who've been to a Pinachama in Israel know just how important it is for our soldiers, for the IDF soldiers to have one in their area. And uh, then, of course, the biggest project, which we've alluded to already on the air in conversations, is the uh, medical center that has officially been announced for the Binyamin region. And uh, there is um, a tremendous interest, thank God, among the uh, people who care about Israel from thousands of miles away to make sure that that medical center gets built. David Marcus is here on a JM in the AM Wednesday morning with a very special guest. Good morning to you and welcome back to JM in the AM. Morning, morning. A pleasure as always. I enjoyed the look back at the dinner at what you had done in Efrat. I enjoyed because I've been to the Efrat Medical Center, as you know. Yeah. yeah. And we've had the had opportunity. You had the show broadcast a year ago. And, and we've seen it in action. We've seen it in action. We've seen just kind of impact it's had not only on the community, but the entire region, you'd have to say, right? And uh, now that model is being, uh, is being used, is being duplicated. And then it, you indicated that not only duplicated, but improved upon for what's going to be Bezrat Hashem, the medical center in the Binyamin region. So right. We were very fortunate to uh, build a tremendous project uh, that uh, we, we started really uh, out of a small caravan, not right. knowing what uh, where we're going with it. And, and it grew up into a tremendous facility, uh, really a first-grade um, medical facility with a very wide variety of abilities uh, right. that, that transformed the Gush Etzion region. Uh, it's, uh, you, you really need to... Uh, be jealous of anyone that lives in Gush Etzion today because of the accessibility to uh, quality care. And it was great seeing the leadership of Dr. Glick, who I knew before, way before he had the yeah. title doctor, really be involved in one of the key figures in the entire uh, he's process. The chairman, he's the chairman and the medical director and the moving yeah. force behind it, a tremendous, tremendous human being. Um, and uh, this experience that we gained in Efrat uh, uh, became uh, the example that needs to be followed. I'm going to get to our special guest in a moment, yeah. but one of the other things I discovered that night on Monday, which I wasn't aware of, is that you already had a part of land. You already know exactly where this is going, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah. thank God the land is already designated. We have a uh, six and a half dunam of land, and Incredible. Uh, there's already drawn up plans. And, uh, so this is, not p- this is not pie in the sky, let's get this going. This is, we know exactly what it's going to cost, and let's yeah, get moving. Yeah, this is a seven to eight million dollar project that is going to happen. Uh, right. we're, we're, uh, we're ready to roll. We met so, Sarah uh, Rosenfeld on Monday night, and uh, her son Malachi was uh, the victim of a terror attack back in the summer of 2015. Uh, this story, and I, I said this earlier, that unfortunately, uh, this story really takes a sentence or two to understand the relationship between the Rosenfeld family and this brand new um, medical center uh, slated for the Binyamin region, which is so vital. Uh, if there was a medical center in the Binyamin region, like the one that we are dreaming about right now, um, things very possibly might have been different. We know God is in control, obviously, but things possibly may have been very, very different 
for Malachi Rosenfeld. Sarah Rosenfeld, Shalom, Shalom, Boker Tov, and welcome to the show. Boker Tov, I could say Boker Tov, it's good. Good morning. <laughs> Very good. Good morning to you. Um, let's just talk about it. It's painful, I'm sure, to talk about, but it's so important if we're going to make sure that our listeners can help in the whole mm-hmm. process of building the medical center. Explain why or what had happened uh, that took so long for Malachi to be treated. Um, Malachi was coming back home from a basketball game in Binyamin, and the terrorist car was waiting on the way, and they shot the car that Malachi was sitting in, uh, like a lot of bullets, around 20. Uh, all four boys that were seated, they, uh, they were wounded, but Malachi was wounded the worst. Uh, they were thinking about, they brought choppers, but uh, they were afraid the terrorists are still down there, so they hesitated to land. Mm. And until the ambulance came, and he didn't have the right equipment for such a bad injury. So they started going to Jerusalem, but it's a long way. And in the middle, I, I think they changed the ambulances. And like you said, we are not God. I don't know what had to happen, right. but it looks like time was a crucial effect in this wound, and he lost a lot of blood. By the time it took like 60 minutes to get to the hospital to Shari Tzedek. The attack, the, attack, the attack happened where? Near in Shvut Rachel, and the way home. It's like in Mateh Binyamin, we have right. over 40 yeshuvim there, and Shiloh, Shvut Rachel, Eli, I don't know anyone right. who knows this. Uh, on the way to Kochav HaShachar, we live in Kochav HaShachar. Right. And the nearest hospital is Jerusalem. We have nothing in the way except ambulances and very good people who want to help. But, I mean, you need the right equipment, you need the right knowledge, the doctor knowledge. And Malachi died on the way. And that's our uh, personal story. But my husband is really thinking about it all the time. How could, you know, when you lose someone that dear and you have a hole in your heart... You try to fill it with something meaningful, with something that gives you uh, meaning to this uh, very awful thing that happens to you. And one of the things uh, my husband Eliezer thinks about is he would be very comforted if he would know that not just because of this, but this helped uh, that Binyamin should have a medical center. And in the future, people, we have a lot of soldiers there. We have Mm -hmm. over 60,000 people living there. And... We hope that it's really crucial. I mean, it's, it's, we are a lot of people very far from Jerusalem. And um, I hope it will save, li- save lives of people and will help in general. And it would make a good feeling for us and for all the people who live there. Sarah Rosenfeld is here talking about the, uh, t- the terrorist attack on Malachi Rosenfeld, which took his life in the summer of 2015. I, I don't mean to go into to, to bring up all the details, but and I'm sure it's painful. But was this said to you? Did the doctors ever say to you, you know, that that it was just too long? It was just too. It, it took too long to get him here. It might have been very different again medically. We know Hakadosh Baruch Hu has mm-hmm. the ultimate decision. But was this actually said to you that if we had more time? with him in the hospital it may have been different they tried to uh, spare us the pain so right. they really they were talking around it right. they say that he lost a lot of blood and that uh, if he could get there earlier but they tried their best they didn't really you know just stand there and tell us because it's very painful and very uh, but they did talk about the time as a crucial uh, effect in this the, in the ongoing of the scene that what happened until he got there 
and and you you don't have to be a doctor to understand that. I understood. mean, it's it's obvious. Right, understood. Um, where the um, the parcel of land is, where the one Israel fund and I'm sure many partners, you know, together want to build the medical mm-hmm. center. Uh, how far is that from where Malachi's life uh, was taken? 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Shar Binyamin is the central of Binyamin. It's right. like the, the most of the... As the name is, the gateway of Binyamin. Yeah, right. the gate, yeah, it's like a start for all the Yishuvim. It's a, a center. It's really a center there. This location then was obviously strategically chosen with great forethought about where it belongs. Yeah, we, we examined many, many different parcels of land before we chose this location. Um, the uh, idea of the location is that all the major arteries running through Binyamin all come into the same juncture point. In fact, there is a major bus terminal that is going to be complete in the next few months mm. that is going to be across the street from the future medical center. Um, essentially, it's the central bus station of Yehuda Shamron. So right. all public transportation are going to run through there as well. So the enemy and the terrorists do everything in their power to try to get people like Sarah and her family to either, I don't know, move away or give up or stop building or stop. And it's just the opposite what happens. Bus stations are built, medical centers go up, and I would assume even in your neighborhood, more and more people continue to help build. Yeah, <laughs> that's the way Jewish people are, I, th- I guess. I, I'm happy for that. Uh, that's the way that's the answer i think the only answer we know to keep on living to keep on building uh, to be there i believe israel is stronger this way uh, we are there for 37 years already in kohavashachau it's not a small something <laughs> uh, my whole life is there my family i raised my kids there i built my house there it's it's home for us where are you from originally your English is amazing. Ah, that's another story for another <laughs> program, how my English is so good, yeah. Okay. It has a nice reason for that, too. Um, Sarah Rosenfeld is here in our studio. I mean, obviously, I would, I would suspect, and God forbid any of us should know, of course, but I would suspect, obviously, since then, you know, the thoughts that go through your mind as you drive in the region, through that area, etc., I can only imagine. But before that, and for other families, I- is it something that, that's always on the mind of parents in that region? Is it something that, you know, you're always concerned about the way, you know, I mean, here, as I said to you before we went on the air, we've just had a couple of terrorist attacks in this Mm -hmm. area, but we're we're not in the mentality, as I'm sure you can relate, of thinking about it on a regular basis, wondering about our kids leaving and coming home. Is this something that that you and all the parents, the thousands in Kochava Shachar, go through each day? Not only in Kochava Shachar, it's always, I'm a social worker. I work in uh, Mate Binyamin, in this uh, area. Uh, I was in a lot of uh, attacks. A lot of people I knew died on the way home, and I had to go and tell the people. It's all, it's in my, it's like amended into my life for many years. Uh, I used to go on the, I used to go with a car to work and come back. And I'm not talking when I send my children. Very, very, uh, a lot of thoughts. We are not always so calm when we go. People ask us, so why do you stay? So that's like when you weigh important things in your life and values. And so at the end, the bottom line is that we stay, but it's, it's not easy. And I'm thinking a lot about it after what happened, if I risk my kids when I stay on living there. Uh, but then, you know, you go to Tel Aviv and you have an attack. And the first thing I saw on TV when I just landed off the, the plane landed and I got out to the... 
in New York, the, the whole television screens were full of terrorists. Uh, right. I didn't know if to cry or to laugh. Right. But like, as a believer, I believe that what has to happen happens. That's the, the way I comfort myself when I get into hectic right. mood. And I'm saying, let's go. And my kids, I'm risking my kids. But then when I think it over again, I say, whatever has to happen, happens. But nonetheless, as you said Monday night, we still have to do everything in our power to... To help HaKadosh Baruch Hu change circumstances if it's possible, and that's why this medical center, for you know, obvious reasons, is so important. A year before that, we have a son, Meir, he was a soldier in Golani. He was right. in uh, Aza, in Tsukaitan, in the war. And Malachi was the one who was um, really crazy that he, he was afraid to lose his brother in Aza. A year later, exactly, in Tammuz, we lost Malachi. Meir is safe. He was, you know... A, a, Kadosh Baruch Hu's uh, calculations yeah. are not uh, human beings and, and so that's what I do I drive, I'm a little stiff I look around my back and forth and I tell myself Sarah, calm down you know Kadosh Baruch Hu runs the world, not you it's not easy for me to say that but I know that yeah. So, at the end we go on we live a beautiful life there we raise great kids uh, people there are really good people. A lot of tzedakah, a lot of. You end up living in the in a place you know with neighbors you are over 30 years with, that comforted you in very bad days. So it's not easy just to. And I think we keep for all the Jews we keep Israel there. I really think so, but that's politically I won't go into. Yeah, that. well, I totally agree with you. But as you said earlier, maybe that's for a different conversation. But I totally agree with you. I've I've told many IDF soldiers that because of them I'm able to live here and they look at me like I'm crazy but of course but in a way it's right uh, 100% I mean. right alright David Marcus uh, practically speaking you know that there are a lot of people in this audience that have taken to Sarah Rosenfeld's message it's something that you saw uh, Monday night how people in this area thousands of miles from Israel are anxious to help build the Binyamin Region okay. Medical Center what, what is and the next I step? Think, I think it's very important for people to understand uh, we're talking um, you know, beyond the uh, immediate uh, life-saving aspects and mm -hmm. the security need uh, a region, in order for, for life to flourish throughout Yudavish Ramon people need to feel that their life is secure and normal they need to have easy access. So when right. they get a cold, they have a doctor that's nearby that they could see. If in the middle of the night they, they have a little laceration or they break something, they know there's a place that they could go to. And it's, it's, it's from every aspect of medicine. Uh, what we're trying to actually accomplish is build essentially a very large um, outpatient hospital. It's going to be for all intents and purposes with all the bells and whistles that a hospital has. With real medical and, personnel. Uh, with real medical personnel and real equipment and, and yeah. uh, serious, this is a very, very serious undertaking that's going to transform the region. I can tell you that the uh, center in Efrat has become the employer oh. of no less than 150 families. Unbelievable. Um, so you could just imagine when we're going on this project that is going to be significantly larger than the project in Efrat because it's servicing a much larger region, the impact that this could have on life in general, and, and, and the draw of new population, of, of high-caliber population, professionals that will come and be part of this project is, is a really great endeavor. So for an Israel Fund to partner with the Regional Council of Binyamin on a project, this is a, a tremendous honor and, and a, a really something that we're all very invigorated about. So what do people do? I'm sure there's a phone number, a website, etc., where they sure, can get more information, speak yes, with uh, you, etc. What do people do? You could contact One Israel Fund. You could go to the One Israel Fund website, oneisraelfund.org. You could contact me by email, Marcus at oneisraelfund.org. Uh, you could call us by phone anytime, uh, 516-239-9202. 
and uh, join us. This Simple. is a great project to uh, get involved with. Simple as that. It is a uh, a very much needed uh, a medical center for the Binyamin region and uh, the Rosenfeld family, as you heard Sarah say this morning um, and tell her story. Uh, obviously, is a uh, is is proof positive why this is so vital and so necessary, and as soon as possible. So everybody out there, please, if you are capable in any way and really at any level, to help the One Israel Fund make this a reality, uh, be in touch with uh, Rav Marcus. It's Rav Marcus M A R C U S at oneisraelfund.org. Go to the website, oneisraelfund.org. Anybody, i got to put this in because I think it's such a wonderful concept, and as you know, we had an opportunity to broadcast from one of them in February. If anyone does want to support the Pinachama, which is so important to the IDF soldiers, you've undertaken that project. Sure. I, I think you're more than halfway there already based on what happened Monday night to build a new one in Beit El, which is pretty amazing. Yes, that's that's the next endeavor. We just completed building a beautiful one in Michmash. Uh, we're actually waiting for it to be installed. Uh, so hopefully if any of you coming Sukkot time, it's a great little stop to pull over. It was done in the memory of um, Yanai Weissman, right. the uh, young uh, young man that uh, protected uh, people at the Rami Levy shopping center when he stopped the terrorists with his bare hands. Correct. Um, and uh, so now that that's complete, we're on to the next one uh, on the Betel Juncture on uh, Givat Asaf, right off the main highway. Um, so, even uh, I, I even have to mention the uh, uh, what was discussed Monday night regarding the uh, bulletproof vests and what you're doing to help those who are first responders in the Judea and Samaria region. Um, So many people out there uh, think that the One Israel Fund jumps into action at the height of, I don't know, intifadas, terrorism, when everything's in the headlines. These, these f- extra 400 vests and this right. entire... The truth of the matter is, is the, that this is what the organization is all about. Uh, we're about building life. Every day. About, every uh, day. Uh, not yeah. just an emergency situation. Exactly. So it's everything from uh, playgrounds for children right. to mikvaot and shuls and schools and, and just creating the opportunity for life. Um, and, and, you know, security obviously is always way on top of our list. Um, so if it's installing sophisticated camera systems or as simple as making sure that the first responders are protected... So, you know, we initiated this project first to get these um, civilian-style adapted uh, bulletproof vests for the chief of security teams. Um, We set ourselves a goal of getting 300 vests in play. Um, We accomplished the goal, but the main thing that we accomplished is we got the IDF to wake up and say, wait a minute, this is a great design for civilians. This is exactly what we need to do. And the Army uh, committed themselves to supply no less than 4,000 vests to every single first responder. Oh, I said 400. Um, it's 4,000. 4,000 <laughs> vests that the Army is is coming in. is all because of the work that we did, because they love the design, realized that we were right about it, and, and launched this project. Um, so now our next endeavor is now to get um, a modified um, bulletproof vest into the medical first responders that we started Amazing. together with. That's all I, I want to say Shimon. something. Yes, um, sorry, just, go ahead. I'm sorry yeah, for sure. barging in, but... Like, as a bereaved family, a social worker, and a woman, I guess, I want to say that behind the, the things, buildings, vests, the feeling that we get, that I got when I was standing there Monday, and I'm listening to you now, is it's a way uh, for all Jews to feel connected. I feel hugged now. I feel comforted, not bec- just because of the building, because of the feeling and the meaning that people, my brothers, are helping me, even though they don't even know me. And thousands of miles away. Yeah, and it gives us a feeling that you, you are with us, you know? Achenu <laughs> Israel. Mamash, mamash, really. It, it's, uh, That's a good feeling for us that you say yeah. that. 
It is one big collective hug from the uh, American really Jewish community. It's overwhelming. I'm just I'm saying it's not only the vest; it's the the hug that comes with it. So thank you for that. Tadaraba. David Marcus is available. One Israel Fund website is uh, active. You can see what's happening with all the projects. I'm sure the videos are up there, etc. You can check out what's happening and be in touch with him. Rav Marcus at oneisraelfund.org. Uh, the 516 number is up there on the website as well, so you can contact uh, the organization by phone. Sarah Rosenfeld, Dashcham to everybody in Kochava Shachar <laughs> and to Eliezer. And uh, I, I, I cannot wait for the day when you and your husband are standing there at the dedication of the medical center. It's going to happen hopefully soon, as you know. And Bezrat Hashem, it's going to transform the Binyamin region. Tadarabah. Shana Tova. Shana Tova. Shana Tova. Happy, healthy, and sweet New Year. That was a conversation with David Marcus and Sarah Rosenfeld. The One Israel Fund continues to fund incredible projects in Judea and Samaria. And that gave you a taste of what they're doing in the Binyamin region. Coming up next here on JM Rewind, uh, my conversation with Mayor Fertig and Maury Libman. We had an opportunity to speak about Shari Tzedek Medical Center and their incredible work. Really an update of what they're doing now toward the end of 2016. Here is that conversation for you right here at JM Rewind. Well, Mayor Fertig is here. He is, of course, um, very excited about the developments at the uh, American Committee for Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. It has uh, given us perspective over the last few months about some of the things that are going on. Mayor Fertig, good morning and welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning. How are you? Last time I saw you, you were on this side of the table. That's true. Nice to see you uh, again. Um, and uh, he has brought along the Director of Major Gifts for the American Committee for Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem, and that's Mr. Maury Libman, who is here this morning. A pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Thanks very much. Pleasure to be here. I would, I would note to uh, everybody out there that um, there is a uh, an event I want to bring to your attention. That is the Heart of Jerusalem Dinner. The American Committee for Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem presents their Heart of Jerusalem Dinner, honoring Rachel Wolf. Congratulations, Rachel. Dr. Howard Svi Goldschmidt, Dr. Emma and Bart Baum, Talia and Sal Goldwyn, Dr. Jessica and Jeremy Kirshner, Michelle and Michael Nachmani. Uh, these honorees will be will be um, uh, honored on the evening of uh, Wednesday, November the 16th, beginning at 6.30 p.m. at Gustavino's on East 59th Street in New York City. If you go to the website, acsz.org, American Committee Shari Tzedek, acsz.org, slash dinner, you can get all the information and participate in what is an amazing annual event. And I know that you encourage all of our listeners to be there that night. And to not only support, but to uh, really see and hear about some of the new developments at the Shari Tzedek Medical Center. I think what's exciting is uh, we have a great group of people. Many of you may know Rachel Wolf. She's been our exec for 15 years, and she's doing a great job, and we wanted to show our karasatov to her for her wonderful leadership. And speaking of leadership, we have a new incoming president, Debbie Kessenbaum, uh, Murray Laulich is the outgoing president, right. and our president is Menno Rasker, whose name you're probably familiar in these. Uh, Last time I was in the office, I saw him. <laughs> Menno has been involved 50 years more. Unbelievable. I mean, that's one of the things about the American Committee. We have people that are so committed, it's just astounding that they could uh, be involved year after year after year after year. When did Maury Libman become involved in the American Committee for Shari Tzedek Medical Center? Uh, 25 years ago. Almost. Why? Well, <laughs> uh, or how, I'll, I'll tell say. you a funny story. The Jewish press had an ad, 1-800-Gazunt. 
and you would make a contribution, you'd call up that yeah. number and make a contribution. And I saw that in the Jewish press. And I knew somebody who knew somebody in the organization. And he said, oh, let's see what happens. I called up. I had an appointment. And lo and behold, I got hired. And it's been a fantastic, I mean, in this field, I don't have to tell you, 25 years is a long, long time. It certainly is. Um, and I've had a chance to see the hospital grow from, I would guess, you could say it's a small community hospital to really the tremendous medical center it is today. What was it from your vantage point that was really the turning point to make it into the major medical center that it is today? At what point or with what development, with what new wing or section or department did you say, you know what, now we are a completely different entity? That's an interesting question. When we first started, I came on in 1991. Right. The dinner was called the maintenance dinner, and we raised money for maintaining the hospital and whatever the needs were and there were programs that were in different departments but really it changed let's say the following year when we began to raise money for the justice and heart center which opened in 94 so since at that time period in the early 90s with 94 with opening of that program in 1997 the wolf women and infant center on charlie's floor uh, the hospital began to develop these really internationally acclaimed centers right. and branched out tremendously. It, it seemed to me, as an observer, that when the Heart Center, as you just said, was established and became a real entity, that all of a sudden the ball started rolling. Every couple of years, it was something really, really big and new in terms of medical development for Shariot Center. Well, I had a chance to go to Washington, D.C. once, to speaking of the Justice and Heart Center, to uh, participate in a trans... It's called TCT. It's a very long name. It's a cardiac meeting for 3,000 cardiologists, yeah. interventional cardiologists. And they go, ladies and gentlemen, live from Jerusalem. And you are at this meeting. People from the floor hand up questions. And th from the catheterization laboratory at Sharetzetic, they're beaming it to Washington. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and I don't have to tell you how proud we are to feel about Israel. Yeah. Because in the early years, we all know people were running to, from Israel to the States. Now, it's the other way around. People come to Israel. People come to Sharad Yeah, it is pretty amazing. And uh, like I say, every few years, some new development. Sometimes even less than a few years we have to wait. And uh, what's been happening with emergency trauma and the emergency room in general and so many other departments is pretty remarkable. Uh, Maury Liebman is here. He's director of uh, a major gifts American Committee for Shared Static Medical Center in Jerusalem. So, so what is, it's now 2016. Refresh our memory. We've spoken a lot about Shared Static uh, over the last few months, but refresh our memory regarding the most recent development. What has been completed most recently? Well, we opened up last summer. We completed the Wilkes Children's Hospital. Mm -hmm. And anyone who had a chance to go there, there are two incoming, excuse me, there is an inpatient floor and an outpatient floor. They're really outstanding. Uh, I was there. It's one of the most unbelievable things. Yeah, I mean, if you've seen the old facilities, mm -hmm. and that's one of the advantages of being there as long as I have, you really can shep nachas. Yeah, really appreciate it. Feel, yeah. I mean, the neonatal unit, for example, used to be tiny. Now it's a very, very large complex, the Uberfeld complex. It's outstanding. We can treat up to 70 babies at one time, which is astronomically large. Yeah. My grandson was born uh, on Long Island. N New York hospitals don't have that it, type it of capacity in their NICU unit. He was in a NICU unit with seven or eight or ten uh, kids. And right. so 70 is it's just mind-boggling. Incredible. Mind -boggling. Uh, and you mentioned the Children's Hospital in general. The, the uh, creativity that went into creating uh, that floor, that center, is just remarkable. All the different services that are offered, how every little detail, from the way the floor looks when you walk off the elevator to the most complicated you know, systems that are required to help the children. Everything has such forethought. 
and such uh, incredible, uh, uh, you know, incredible um, uh, research behind it. From again, from the most minute detail, um, in, in what would seem a mundane decision about you know how to set something up or how to present something to the most complicated equipment. One of the things that has, I would say, made these centers of excellence the top-notch facilities that they are is we've learned from a lot of other facilities. There have been teams of people over the years that have gone to other facilities and uh, made in-site visits to be able to come back with information and suggestions. And, you know, people are very, very forthcoming. They want to help you. And that's been the case with many of our centers of excellence. And that's one of the reasons, I think, that they are as superb as they are. Yeah, no question. Maury Libman is here. He's Director of Major Gifts, American Committee of Shari Tzedek. Reminder, November the 16th, the major dinner going on in New York City. Uh, everyone is encouraged to be part of it. And there is a website, ACSZ, that's American Committee of Shari Tzedek, acsz.org slash dinner, acsz.org slash dinner. So what's in the works? What's in the plans? Because yeah. I know once something is completed, it seems that already some other project has begun, certainly a major gifts project, when it comes to Shari Tzedek. Uh, just to make a side comment, yes, okay. I'm involved with major gifts, but we appreciate donations. We have people who give us $5 every right, year from Pesach, <laughs> and we have seven-figure donors, and we love them all. We don't want to shut anybody out just because you're representing the major gifts department. Right. <laughs> Uh, we're now building a brain center, which is extraordinarily important. And one of the key areas of that is in the stroke unit. Now, we all know that getting people who have these problems quickly to the hospital is extremely important. And the yeah. statistic is mind-boggling. For every minute of delay, two million brain cells are lost, which is an astounding number. So we want to create a facility and a structure and a setup so that we can send uh, Sharetzetic trained paramedics out into the field, and we want to have, when people are coming into hospital, we want to have the team ready there immediately to deal with these people to help them. And one of the interesting things that we're also doing is we, we've heard the term TIA, which mm -hmm. is a mini stroke. Uh, many people who have that, it's not taken quite as seriously as it should, and we want to treat those people so that they don't, God forbid, have a stroke in the future, and that's another important, very important area. We're also dealing with tumors. Uh, for people who have uh, brain problems, and we have a trauma unit in that component with brain trauma for people who have, unfortunately, either terrorist victims or car accidents. And, and uh, unfortunately, in Israel, we know that's a serious problem, and right. both of those are areas. I mean, essentially, any head injury would yeah. be able to yeah. be addressed at the hospital. The, the, um, most people at this point all these years later, know the importance of getting a stroke victim or somebody suffering from a stroke to a hospital, to a facility, as fast as possible. So on one end, speed is one of the most important things. Somebody in that type of situation comes in, the hospital has, is developing a way to get to them as quickly as possible, correct? Yes. And then, of course, there's the the actual treatment, the actual treatment that will be done, and the um, um, just like a, a heart center, we would have the best, you know, the best, equipment and staff to deal with heart patients, you want to do the same thing with the brain center. Right. Well, we are near the Bacon Highway, which right. those of you that have traveled in Jerusalem was essential. We're now much quicker to be able to get people to Sharat Zedek. In terms of staffing, a very key, key part of what we're doing, we all know that you can have the greatest facilities in the world, you need the top people. And Professor Yonatan Alevi, our mm -hmm. Director General, has done a great job in recruiting key people from both within Israel and outside of Israel to come to Sharat Zedek. And we have really great, great staff. Uh, Dr. Rani Echel is running the stroke unit, and we're, we have just top people, and they're 
very, very expert uh, in their fields and much long years of experience. It doesn't seem like Dr. Alevi settles for second best. <laughs> That's what it seems to me. No, he does not. <laughs> he has, I mean, we would be a small community hospital uh, without an international uh, impact right. without Dr. Alevi. I mean, there's no question he's done a fine job. And we have great leadership here in New York on the American Committee. We mentioned some of the top leadership. Uh, I don't want to mention donors because we have too many wonderful of them, but they all know they've done a spectacular job in creating these centers of excellence, and we're extraordinarily appreciative. And uh, your listenership should be aware that, and I'll give you a very quick history. Uh, when Israel was founded, the hospital was in the situation of the committee. Excuse me. The hospital was founded in 1902. When right. Israel was founded in 1948, there was no money. The government was broke. And I always use two examples. Uh, Lou Gordon, of blessed memory, told me a story. He went to the King David in 1948. They didn't have any food. They said, well, go up the block. You can get us some coffee or whatever. And Michael Strauss, who's from Englewood, been involved with us, told me a story that in 1950 he went to Yeshiva and they smacked his hand uh, because he wanted a piece of meat that was a tiny paper thin. And I use these examples to show you how poor the state was in those years. And that's why, at, at that point, the government said to Sharat Zedek, Hadassah, and Vikocholam Hospital, you're on your own, good luck, and you have to have your own fundraising efforts. And that's been, that continues today. Right. Although, since December 2012, uh, Vikocholam Hospital is now part of Sharat Zedek. It is our center city campus. Right. Those who remember where it is, right in the heart of town, yeah. it's now associated and affiliated with Shari Tzedek. Uh The Brain Center opens when or officially? Well, the stroke component has opened, and we're looking at the end of the year to complete. There's three parts. It's the stroke center, there's the neuroradiological component, and there's neurosurgery, Department of Neurosurgery. And have any of these been dedicated, or have any families gone ahead and expressed uh, an interest? In we're, we're in the process of finalizing we have uh, major commitments but there are many many projects i mean and i'll wear my major gifts hat on right now right. there are many many exciting wonderful important projects both in the brain center and in other areas that are available for sponsorship we would greatly appreciate it and you know i should add as important as that project is sometimes someone will have something that relates to their family that they'll had a heart problem and they'll say you know i want to do something for israel and so there are important areas uh, available in all the areas of the hospital. My mother of blessed memory had her stroke many, many years ago in Israel, on vacation in Israel. Oh. And I'm sure <laughs> that, that if she would have been taken to, well, it's a little bit different than the 1990s. You know, we don't know as much, we didn't know as much then as we know now. Right. But I'm sure that, that unfortunately, because of where it occurred, uh, the speed with which she required to, you know, make a full recovery <clears throat> was impossible. Uh, but uh, I can relate to how important you know those seconds are, and just how much progress. Because you know at that time we really, as you can imagine, we hung around with a lot of stroke victims. That's where she was in right. one of the stroke units in Israel, and uh, we saw what kind of progress people can make in the first day or two. You know if things uh, are handled properly and with great efficiency by the doctors. So there's a lot to be said for a stroke center to be now in Shirei Tzedek. And uh, there's a lot to be said for the uh, time that's going to be saved in terms of trying to help stroke victims. And, of course, as we keep pointing out, uh, the staff and the people that, and the, and the, um, and the um, equipment that's available uh, will certainly be a big help in that area as well. So It's interesting you mentioned equipment. I mean, I'm sure your uh, listeners are aware technology changes constantly. And we're a piece of equipment. Yeah, that must be frustrating. It, it, it is. <laughs> we're, we're constantly... Uh, being asked to raise money for a new piece of equipment, but but it's wonderful because you 
get a sense that whereas, for example, a, a neonatal respirator, right. uh, which was, let's say, generation one, the next generation, it can save the baby, whereas previously we just we couldn't. So, and that, that's up and down the line in, in all areas. It's in surgery. It's uh, by the way, genetics. Just to digress for a minute, we have a wonderful genetics department, and the future of medicine is in genetics, medical genetics. It's the full family department of genetics. It's an exciting. It's a wonderful project. We now can look at. Uh, a cell of a baby and fertilize a good cell for someone who has a track record of Jewish genetic diseases, which is wonderful. And I don't have to tell you the nachos we get from those babies being born healthy and normal. It's just mind-boggling. Incredible. Um, Amori Libman is here. He's director of Major Gifts at Shari Tzedek. Uh, the uh, night of November the 16th is one you should circle on your calendar. Uh, Rachel Wolf, Dr. Howard Svee Goldschmidt, Dr. Emma and Bart Baum, Talia and Saul Goldwyn, Dr. Jessica and Jem Jeremy Kirshner, and Michelle and Michael Nachmani are all among the awardees, the honorees for the American Committee Shared Tzedek Medical Center Heart of Jerusalem dinner happening in New York City at Gustavino's on East 59th Street in New York on that night. Information, you can go to the website acsz.org, acsz for American Committee Shared Tzedek.org for information. And, uh, yes, you wanted to add more? Yeah, just one thing. Uh, I mentioned about Rachel before. I just want right. to tell you, uh, Dr. Howard Goldschmidt, in February, spent a sabbatical working a month at Charlotte Sedek. It was wonderful in a department of cardiology. That's so it was exciting to have people involved. And the Baums, Goldwins, Kirshners, and Nachmanis have been involved with our Children's Champion Organization for 10 years, which is an outstanding work in bringing in a young, younger, new leadership to Charlotte Sedek. And we wanted to recognize their very, very important uh, contribution to the organization and to the hospital. So there are doctors in the United States who, if they take a break, so to speak, could actually go to Shari Tzedek and lend their expertise on the on whatever matter it is, Mayor. I actually interviewed. I actually interviewed Dr. Goldschmidt right. on the stunt show right. on the network. Correct. And he has a great story to tell. I mean, it, people can go hear the archive. It was it was a fascinating conversation. <laughs> he spent a couple of years laying the groundwork for his uh, you know legal paperwork and you know be able for to his practice year in Israel? to be able to practice medicine <laughs> right. in Israel. And he uh, he got there. He was able to do anything that he needed to do. He said, except actually sign papers, you know, sign reports, and he said within an hour of being in the hospital, he was performing a procedure. Unbelievable. A lot of good Jewish doctors out there, huh? Yeah, <laughs> including my daughter. <laughs> there you go. What specialty? Uh, endocrinology. Phenomenal. A lot of good Jewish doctors, and Shari Tzedek somehow always seems to find them. As <laughs> simple as that. Uh, well, anything you'd like to add, gentlemen? Anything we missed? Well, uh, I want to give you a couple of little cute vignettes. Sure. please. Uh, you know, we have the nickname the Hospital of the Heart. Right. So, uh, some years ago, we had a trip to Israel. Uh, we'll call her Mrs. Cohn. This is Mozi Shabbos. So we're at the hotel in Jerusalem, and her hand had a black. We got all black over here. So right. I said, Mrs. Cohn, you were Shabbat Zedek. Let's take care of it. We went to to the uh, emergency room. Uh, there was, I guess you would call him a gang member. We while we were waiting, he was coming in. His head was bleeding, and he had a rag around his head, and his girlfriend was screaming. That was something that we don't really associate, but it happens. This is this is right. not uh, yeah, yeah. this is an emergency room. Right. And then somebody came in with a heart attack, and so we were waiting there for a while. And an orderly came over to us and said, um, "Come with me." So he didn't know we were. He had no idea we were, had any connection to Shard Sadek. And uh, he took us into the back room and he made us a cup of coffee. 
He said, I see you were waiting a while, and I had Rachmatis on you. <laughs> and I said to, uh, I, we said to each other, Mrs. Conner, I said, do you believe this? Can you imagine this happening anywhere? Yeah, only in Israel. That's I mean, one of those only in Israel stories. Fantastic story. story. <laughs> and then I have to tell you a funny story. My daughter-in-law, uh, my wife and I have, uh, in, in Israel, we have six grandchildren. Five of the six were born in Sharasadak. And uh, my daughter-in-law, Ahuva, with my son Chaim, had, had five out of the six kids were born at Sharasadak. So to see your own grandchild with a Anin Nerlatati Bashar Tzedek t-shirt, it's wonderful. So one year she said to me, Dad, you know, you really, you've got to do something. The maternity is a little crowded. Can you do something? I said, Hoover, we're working on it. And she looked at me like, yeah, you're working on it. I mean, I don't know. Uh, well, we really were working on it because the next time she had a kid, we have a new, uh, this is our fifth maternity department. Uh, she came back, and this is six months ago, and she said, oh, it was wonderful, it was terrific, it was spacious, I loved it. I said, I told you, Hoover. <laughs> <laughs> when they say they're going to undertake a project, they make sure to undertake yeah, a project. No, it's, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. And, and my father has been treated there uh, last few weeks ago, was in the hospital for a week, and my mother was extraordinarily appreciative and uh, had very, very nice things to say about the care. Well, there you go. I'm Maury Liebman. He's director of Major Gifts at Shari Tzedek Medical Center. Go to acsz.org slash dinner for the November 16th event. I thank you very much for being here this morning. Thank you very much. Best regards, everybody, at Shari Tzedek. We are great admirers, and we very much enjoyed all of our tours, but especially the most recent one that we were on just a few weeks ago. Mayor Fertig? Thank you very much. A Mom. pleasure. Continue to bring us amazing guests from the amazing place where you have the privilege to be on a daily basis at the American Committee for Shari Tzedek. Mori? Just a Shana Tava to all your listeners. Oh, thank you. We want to have, you should have a good year of health, happiness, peace of mind, only good good things, and of course, Shalom Yisrael. We pray that Israel will have a good year Amen. and Amen. safe year. That was my conversation with Mayor Fertig and Maury Libman and the great work of the Shari Tzedek Medical Center. Up next on JM Rewind... Uh, my conversation with Roger Horowitz, Kosher USA, a fun book in many ways and a really historic book in many ways in terms of kashrus in the United States of America. My conversation with author Roger Horowitz. It's up next right here at JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Roger Horowitz is with us live via telephone. The name of the book, Roger Horowitz, I should say, is a uh, food historian and director of the Center for the History of Business, Technology, and Society at the Hagley Museum and Library author of many books. The book is called Kosher USA, How Coke Became Kosher and Other Tales of Modern Food. Roger Horowitz, welcome to JM in the AM. Well, thank you for having me here in the morning. I appreciate it. A pleasure. Uh, why is Coca-Cola always cited as one of the key stories, one of the key episodes when discussing the topic of kosher in America? Well, first reason is that it's the first uh, big product to become kosher. It's the first time that a major food manufacturer changes ingredients to accommodate kosher requirements. And so that's 1935. That's a huge event in the development of kosher food. The other reason is the rabbi involved in doing that, Rabbi Tobias Geffen, makes rulings that become incorporated in the kosher law as other rabbis end up looking at kosher products. So it's significant for the first, but also for the kind of approach that he took that really defined the way rabbis now understand how to make products kosher. So there are precedents involved in what he did. That uh... absolutely, absolutely, very important precedent. And you mentioned, and you mentioned the change of a recipe. Do you have, as a historian, and I don't mean to question your your assertion, but the, or your assertion rather, but do you have a? Uh, uh, do you have definitive information that, in fact, Coca-Cola had to change or did change 
their secret recipe to accommodate the kosher community? Well, they did change the recipe, but they didn't change the secret ingredient. That you know that remained the same. Ah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, but so yeah, it's still Coca Cola. But they, oh yeah, they changed what was in there. Um, they changed the source of the ingredients. That was the main. That was the main issue. Uh, Coke was using glycerin, and the glycerin, Rabbi Geffen discovers, comes from essentially animal fats, which include non-kosher animals. Um, and he says you can't do this. You can't have an ingredient which is sourced from a non-kosher source. Uh uh-uh, uh not kosher. Uh, and then he says, and even though it's there in tiny quantities, it can't be between. It can't be nullified because it's essential to the creation of Coke. Mm. And so Coke says, okay, we'll find glycerin from someplace else. And they get it from uh, cottonseed oil uh, through Procter & Gamble's story there. But they changed it. They changed the, the, the composition of it. Uh, and over time, you know, this is sort of amazing, glycerin, which is, you know, it's hidden chemicals, it changes throughout the American uh you know, food industry, but now it's very hard to get meat-based glycerin. If you want to sell your glycerin these days, manufacturer, it's going to be kosher glycerin. So, yes, yeah, they do change the formula, absolutely. And and from their angle, I mean, we're talking about the 1930s, you know, the, the Jewish population, nothing compared to what we're used to today. Why would they think it was worth the effort at that time to make this change to accommodate a niche market? Well, food manufacturers... Even if it's a small market, they want to sell to everybody. They don't want to have somebody else have a competitive edge. They didn't want to have a kosher cola come in to take off that market. Because, you know, New York City, a lot of observant Jews, they didn't want to have that happen to them. So Coke just wanted to shut the door on any sort of possibility of an erosion of its dominance. And I guess, that's, wh- I guess that's why they're Coca-Cola, right? I mean, that's... Yeah. <laughs> That, that's, yes. the, that's the way they do things. And, uh, that's right. That's right. Well, you know, other people do this. I mean, I mean, not so long ago when Coors Beer decided to move to the New York market from you know, Colorado, you know those ads they right. have, you know, sure. western-sounding guys. They wanted to move to New York area, and they made it kosher because they didn't want to have any obstacles to the expansion of their product. It's just one of these business decisions. And the, and the rabbis then and now, they're very good at saying, well, you can do this, and it's not going to cost you any more. You're able to do this. It's not going to affect your product. And if you do that, you're going to open the door to some new markets. And on the consumer angle, especially for those who would, you know, frankly, in the kosher market would drink any beer, they're more comfortable possibly, and it looks like, you know, the evidence is there, you know, drinking one that actually has a hashkacha. Well, you know, I mean, if you're going to go for a light beer, I'm beyond what's different. You know, I mean, you know, it's light beer. So you might go for a hashkacha. You know, why not? Go right. for that one. It's, it's, going to be, it's going to be safer, you know do that. So it also allowed Coors to, to market their beer to Jewish circles, and with kosher. So it becomes a marketing opportunity for these companies to say they're kosher. Roger Horowitz is with us. The book is called Kosher USA, How Coke Became Kosher and Other Tales of Modern Food. In one of your, um, in one of the uh, the pre-release um, uh, publicity uh, pieces, they spoke about the uh, the fact that Hydrox was kosher, Oreos were not, or at least did not have a hashkacha. Uh, how do you explain that? What did you find in your research that would explain why that was the case? Well, I mean, um, Oreos for a long time, like a lot of baked goods, used lard. Mm. That was just the way they did things. Um, and what happens with, you know, so, so this hydrox is sort of what the scenario that uh, Coca-Cola wanted to avoid, where you can get an analog product that's kosher that grabs a piece of the market. Um, what happens with Oreos is, is really fascinating. Uh, the problem they face is the institutional market. I mean, they're selling as Oreos, okay? They're, they got they got a huge market just, you know, without being kosher. But they couldn't sell Oreo-based cookies and cream ice cream to a lot of food distributors 
There's the food distributors, you know, it's a Dexo, Aramark, they're selling to lots of people. And they want one cookies and cream ice cream, not multiple ones. And they couldn't have ones with Oreos because it wasn't kosher. They want to have a kosher cookies and cream ice cream. So what happens with Oreos is inside Oreos, the folks who are selling to institutions say, look, you're creating a sales problem for us. And it's a big sales problem because like, we can't get it to Sedex, so we can't get it to Aramark. They're not carrying our products. We need it to be kosher so we can be in with the major food service providers. So that's what provides the push. And then you're talking about big bucks to get it with these, with these uh, institutional suppliers. Unbelievable. Um, what does it say about... Our community, very active consumers, um, uh, more influenced than we think, or, you know, we, ma- we make a tremendous amount of, uh, of um, we're very active when it comes to making our voices known for how badly we want certain foods to become kosher. What does it say about our community that all these changes are made to accommodate it? Well, it says that, that you know, Jewish consumers are just learning consumers. I mean, they, you know, they, they, they want to have kosher products, and uh, they do make it known, and if you want to sell them as a community, that's that's what you do. Um, but it also that the power is greater than the numbers would would indicate. Right. Look, we are a small minority. Right. We're that's a small point. minority. Right. You know, that's that's the way it is to be Jewish. But what happens in these big food operations is like the Oreo story. You want to make one product. You don't want to make two. So once you start trying to have kosher products, then all sorts of things start turning kosher. All sorts of ingredients are kosher. Right. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff in food, but if, if, for example, you're a young startup and you want to create a color, a food color, and you want to sell it to manufacturers because it's better than other ones, you make it kosher because the big food manufacturers won't buy it unless it's kosher. They don't want to have the trouble of kosher and non-kosher. So all this goes back up the food chain. So people say now that ingredients, the stuff that goes into food, 70, 80% is kosher because <laughs> if you want to sell it, you want to make it kosher because it just opens doors. And that goes right down the line there. So then if you're a company that's making a product and you want to turn it kosher, you do have these options. Right. The OU works very hard to present them. Kosher USA is the name of the book. Roger Horowitz is with us. Uh, so we discussed some of the stories that tell us about manufacturers and the food companies wanting to infiltrate, quote-unquote, the, the Jewish and or kosher market. Uh, then, then you have a case of the opposite. Uh, where you see Manischewitz in the early uh, part of the 20th century uh, trying to take their products into the mainstream market and doing so with a major advertising campaign. What did you learn about what uh, you know today is so often referred to as Mano, Mano-, Mano- Manischewitz? <laughs> well, it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful story because uh, you know, it's sort of a Manischewitz wine, and Manischewitz wine is the first crossover product. In the 1950s, 80% of its consumers are not Jewish. They're African-Americans. And what happens is Manischewitz becomes an enormously popular beverage among African Americans in the 50s and in the, in the 1960s. Uh, it, it's, a, it's sort of it's a predecessor to what's happened with Bartonero Moscato, where that also has become popular among African Americans, not to the same, same degree. And Manischewitz, you know, they're advertising on radio, on television, in the newspapers. Buzz Aldrin, when he lands on the moon, he steps on the moon, and he goes, Man on Manischewitz. That's the view of the earth. That's, that's how popular their slogan is. So, uh, it's a huge crossover product, and of course, it's a huge help for the Manischewitz Food Company because they put these ads in and it connects them to that area. So it's a, it's, a, it's one of these breakthrough breakthrough products that kosher kosher food has. It's unbelievable, and the ad campaign is so. For those who are not familiar, and I, even I was too young or wasn't even around, but you know, at that time that it started, uh, you don't realize how much the campaign really infiltrated American society. Well, if you want to have some fun, go on YouTube 
and um, enter Sammy Davis Jr. Manischewitz. And it'll take you to a television ad that Sammy Davis Jr. did for Manischewitz in the late 1960s. Mm. You know, that, that's, that's, uh, you know, that's really a wonderful story. I mean, that, you know, that company is, is still around and is still, you know, pushing its wares and doing a very good job. And I, I was invited up to their office's um, plant a couple of weeks ago and I had a chance um, to look through it. And, you know, they're, they're generating new products. They're figuring out ways to use the kosher certification they have and the systems they have set up to have other kinds of certifications, to have organic, GMO-free. Uh, and you know, what's interesting here is that the kosher requirements can be translated over to these other kinds of certifications that other kinds of consumers, not Jewish consumers, care about. Now, this is a world where consumers want to know. And kosher, the way you make things kosher, the way you monitor to make things kosher, can be used for other purposes, and other people copy the kosher method. There's, a, there's you know, the organic certification, non-GMO certification, wild caught, all that kind of stuff. These are third-party certifiers, like, if you will, the OU, that say, okay, it meets our requirements. So in terms of being influential, you know, kosher leads the way for other parts of the population as to how to control their foods, and it gives an opportunity for kosher food companies like Manischewitz to reach out beyond the Jewish market and say, well, look, we're GMO. They're sardines, for example, are wild caught, and that's a, that's a big thing. So very interesting dynamic in the food industry today with the kosher food. And finally, we got to talk about kosher meat for a moment. Uh, at, at what point did it, beca- did it go in the history of, of kosher in the United States? Did it go from you know, almost impossible to obtain kosher meat to a point where it became readily available to the consumers? Well, you know, beginning of the 20th century, kosher meat was available. You know, you had the slaughterhouses where the cities where the Jews live. You know, and, you know, that goes through a long decline. And to the bottom, I would say, is probably the 19, early 1980s when the food companies just stopped doing kosher food. They just, they just, it's kosher meat. They just, the big meat companies just aren't interested in doing it. Uh, and then you kind of have a recovery. That's when agri-processors get involved. And, of course, there's a lot of agri-processors. But it needs to be said that 1987, when they start, there's a shortage. And they go in, Alley Processing goes in, International Glot, other companies come in to try to generate these kind of kosher food products. You know, and then you have a new opportunity to distribute these things. Now there's all these supermarkets where you can buy kosher chicken. You can buy kosher organic chicken, kosher organic free-range chicken, again, <laughs> multiplying certifications. You know. And, you know, it's a great thing. I mean, to me, that kind of availability is about American democracy, being able to go into your stores, you want food a certain way that meets your religious requirements, and you can get it. You know, it's not such a small thing to be able to go to a baseball game and get something which you can sit down and drink and enjoy watching. It's not a small thing. You've got a kid with you, you want a child, you'll enjoy fully American society. So to me, this is about democracy, having this kind of development of the availability of kosher food. Very interesting. Roger Horowitz is the author of the book Kosher USA, How Coke Became Kosher and Other Tales of Modern Food. Good luck with this book. Oh, by the way, how do people obtain the book? Well, you can buy on Amazon. There you That's go. The easiest way. So, uh, Amazon, Kosher USA, bingo, you go right there. And, and, and to my to my pleasure, they're selling it for a discount. So you actually can, uh, you know, get it for, for, for I guess, telling well enough that they're willing to drop it down 25% of the price. It's a Columbia University Press release, and it's called Kosher USA by Roger Horowitz. Roger, thank you so much. Great speaking to you about this. Okay, thank you very much. I enjoyed it totally. That was my conversation with Roger Horowitz as we discussed kosher food and its development in the United States over the last 
century. Thank you so much for listening to JM Rewind. My name is Nahum Siegel. More coming up all through the day here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Make sure to spread the word to encourage people to install the app and continue listening to all of us here at NSN. I thank you for listening to the Nahum Siegel Network. Oh.